007 reporting for duty. Where the hell have you been? Enjoying death. We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. In the dark. In conclusion, if you find yourself falling asleep, having a dream child in the middle of a nightmare, while you're trying to wake up when you're being chased by a guy with razors on his fingers, and you don't know it's a new nightmare, and then you got Jason, he's got an axe, got Kelly Rowland, she's not saying, nightmare baby, nightmare baby, nightmare baby. Nightmare, baby. Flow. H-Y. Once upon a time on a Super Bowl night, two guys from BK brought the points to life. Gave you some previews and some laughs. Was it no big thing? No one thought it would last. Then one started growling at the mention of a chick. The other guy would lose it every time he got pissed. Next thing you know, they got a good fan base. So they said, what the hell, let's continue to pace. No stone uncovered, they will take on a topic. Might bring on a guest, and together they rock it. Cause they're in like Flint, two mices are cool. If you don't know the beautiful one, they'll take you to school. I'm talking about Tom, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. The best podcast out, hands down, it's set. So in the tub, in the car, if you're chilling in the park. Welcome to another show of better in the dark. Two survivors. And then what, you kill them? You take them and raise them into the trees. And now they don't eat coconut anymore. Now they only eat what? You have changed their nature. The two survivors. This is what you made us. Double seven. I'm your new quartermaster. You must be joking. Why? Because I'm not wearing a lab coat. Because you still have spots. And until we get back in touch with you... Go watch that movie! Right, Davin? Go watch that movie! <laughs> Alright, tuxedos? Check, right? Right. We got our gun, both the PBKs? Check. I got the vodka martinis shaking that stir. Check. Aston Martin, DB? Check. Although it's not looking very good these days, is it? Uh, all beat to shit, really. Yeah. wonder what happened to it. Blown up by the bad guys, of course. Of course. And here's where we should start doing the dun 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 Here he is! He's James Bond! Back for another adventure! Here he is! He's James Bond! Wants to be Chris Nolan! Of course, this is our usual inept way of leading into yet another episode of Better in the Dark. I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. And today we have a very special guest. Someone we've been trying to get on for literally years. Back in the old days when we were doing Gilded Bonds as a regular segment, we tried to get this gentleman, a great, great man, on to discuss Quantum of Order. I mean, Solace with us. But now that we have a brand new Bond film... And the third film in the Curtain with Craig series. We yes. figured we'd bring him on so we can discuss Skyfall and also whether Daniel Craig has been a success or not. Right. Overall. The one, the only, one of the masterminds behind Pulp Express, along with Joshua Reynolds, Joel Jenkins, and yourself, Derek, Mr. Russ Anderson! Hello, hello, thank you, thank you. 
glad to be here, finally. Yes, yes, yes. It's been Please, it's nothing like I pictured it. <laughs> it's been far too long. I hope you don't mind just blindfolding you first before bringing you to the man cave. Oh, no, I understand completely. Yes. We, we have to uh, protect security in these times. Of, yes. Uh, blowing up MI6 and um, things like that. <laughs> and, and crazy Javier Barden pen bad guys feeling up secret agents. Being the supervillain yeah. that Bane wishes he had been yeah, right. in The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, man. Javier Bardem did a fantastic job as the bad guy in this. He was just electric on the screen. It was a lot of fun to watch him. He came on and you know, it was like, blonde? Blonde? He's blonde. What the yes. hell? Javier Bardem isn't blonde, but it worked. But he is definitely work. in keeping with the classic Ian Fleming meme of what a villain is in his books. It's like when he does a bad guy, he's got to have a different signature hairstyle to go along with the bad guy. He, I almost st- want to cast in a Marvel movie to see him in a beehive. <laughs> at, at this point, whatever bad guy he does, I don't care what it is. I just want to see him do a bad guy because he does them so well. Are we going to put a spoiler warning in front of this Um, episode? Yes. There okay. are going to be spoilers. Going to be spoiler we are going to be discussing this film at some length. As I was saying, that first scene where you see him, where he walks yeah. out of the elevator and he just has that long monologue about the rats. Uh, his grandmother's island and how they got rid of the rats. Oh my god. I haven't seen the James Bond villain that awesome in ages. I can't remember the last one, honestly. Well, this is, I think, the really first Fleming-worthy supervillain that's worthy of the name that Daniel Craig James Bond has faced. The first one that oh, he yeah, did... Lachif. Yeah, Lachif was okay, but he was more like a glorified, pissed-off mm-hmm. banker. We're not even going to mention Dominic the Green. Dominic Green from Quantum of Boredom. I mean, Solace. Although well, uh, we should say that Russ liked Quantum of Boredom. I mean, Solace. Now that we have him here... Because people know how we feel about it. Russ, what was your take on Quantum of Solace, and why do you think that it's a worthy James Bond movie? You're going to put me on the spot, aren't you? Absolutely. Uh, You're the guest. That's why you're here. And I knew you would, and I actually intended to go back and watch the movie this week so that I would have some defenses against you guys. Really, the main thing I want to talk about, though, before I get into what I liked about Quantum of Solace was, Tom, I want you to rethink the Quantum of Boredom thing. Because what you're saying when you say quantum of boredom, you're saying there was actually a very small, microscopic bit of boredom in that movie. And I don't think that's what you're saying. I don't <laughs> think that's what you mean. What you want to say is quantum of excitement, quantum of action Interest. adventure. <laughs> all right, all right. So, quantum of solace. What did I like about the movie? I'll tell you, I didn't think it was that terribly different in tone or execution than Casino Royale. I think Casino Royale was a much better movie. The Bond Girl was better. I actually think Vesper is... You could probably prove with science that Vesper is the best Bond Girl ever. I don't know if you guys agree with that. We can talk about it later. Yeah. But I think the bad guy's scheme was maybe a little too low stakes. Maybe that's what you guys didn't like about it. I thought the action was great. I thought the cinematography was great. I liked the Bond girls in it. I thought Daniel Craig did a great you job. You liked Olga Karienko? Yeah, okay. well, I okay. liked uh, the lady who played Strawberry Fields, too. Well, we she, all she liked that. Yeah, well, we all liked her. Yeah. I, I wish she had gotten more screen time, but it, take what you can get. I, I don't know if I can quantify why I like Quantum of Solace. I just thought it was a solid movie. I don't think it's as good as Casino Royale. I certainly don't think it's as good as Skyfall. Because I'm actually 
actually going to rank Skyfall above Casino Royale. I really, really liked that movie. Yeah, um, I agree with you. After I came home from watching Skyfall, uh-huh. I did watch Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. And as a matter of fact, I've got Casino Royale right now up on the BIT Jumbotron right. to keep us in the mood. And you know something, Russ? I'm going to say something here. I'm going to have to reverse myself. I don't know, maybe because that was the third or fourth time I saw it, so I could follow the plot better, but Quantum of Solace isn't as bad as I previously thought it was. It's still not good, because I really have to make the connection as how Bond gets from one spot to another. Yeah, it's never really... There's a big disconnect where the woman says, oh, your cards have all been destroyed, and so is your diplomatic thing has been taken away, but because you flirted with me, I'm going to let you on anyway. Yeah, and the thing with the money and the guy was using it to bribe people and they trade. It was still kind of difficult and I'm sorry, but stealing water just isn't interesting to me. See, this is one thing that I think that you and I do disagree on. I think that that plot was worthy of a Bond villain. Okay. The idea of orchestrating a nationwide drought to make a profit is a... That does seem pretty Bondian to me. It's a very monstrous idea, but... The way that the plot was presented through the film was so garbled and muddled. It took yeah. about three viewings to figure out that right. was what was going on. Well, this is what I'm saying. I just saw it the other day for the third or fourth mm-hmm. time. And now I finally get it. Whereas Skyfall, I watched that. Bam, I got it the first time oh, I saw it. totally Cas- easy to figure out. Casino Royale, first time I watched. Bam, I got it. Do you guys think that maybe the big problem with Quantum of Solace is Dominic Green? Because he's just not interesting as a Bond villain. Yeah. It's a big part of it, yeah. And he's not impressive, I guess, is the problem. And also the way that the Mathis character went out. That left a bad taste in my mouth. Because I said, okay, I know Bond is a hardcore guy, but yeah. I, damn, you just throw him in the garbage. and That, yeah. Especially this was a guy that he considered a friend and he right. trusted, and he asked to help him. Also, and, especially you know. if we consider that at that last shot of Cedar Royale, Bond is fully formed at this point. He has gone through his baptism of fire, and he is who he's going to be for the rest of the... See, I don't think so. I think that... And see, this is the brilliant thing. This is why I've been saying mm-hmm. on various... Facebook pages that, to me, these three movies are, in a way, another version of the Nolan Batman movies. Funny you should say that. And at the end of Skyfall, this is the fully... Okay, now he's James Bond, the one that we know, because everything, all the elements that we're familiar with are in place. Yeah, we're going to get to that a little later, but it's funny how at the end of Skyfall, they could conceivably go immediately into Doctor No at the end of that movie. Well, I like the fact that by introducing the DB Aston Martin when they did, it was a kind of a hint to those of us who are fans of classic Bond that if we wanted to, we could put all the other films in the space between Quantum of Solace and Skyfall. Skyfall, yeah. Although, of course, it makes no sense logistically. Right, right, because that very clearly was the car from Goldfinger, where he has the part where he flips open the thing and then so, what are you going to do? You're going to eject me now? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, there were bits. And then didn't they use the gun that read the biometrics in one of the Roger Moore movies? I don't think they did, but the thing that aggravated me about that is that... That was in the Timothy Dalton movie. That was in the... Oh, yeah, the... the, Yes, that's right. Right. License... That was License to Kill. License to Kill, right. They make a big deal out of Quartermaster or Q, or whatever they're going to call that character, explaining what this gun does, and this is a gun that, once again, is within the realm of possibility. It's something that actually does exist. And yet, they never use it, because there's that moment with the Komodo Dragon, where you figure, oh, he's going to drop the gun, and somebody's going to try to shoot him, and it's not going to work for them. Well, yeah, but that happened. 
Yeah. That happened just before he got dragged off by the dragon. But right. The dragon grabbed him by the leg and yanked him away. Yeah, it did I, happen. I withdraw that last statement. Okay. We're going to edit that out. <laughs> I, I actually snip. expected more of a payoff for the gun. I you mean, expected Silva to get it. They're in the pit and points the gun at Bond. And Bond goes, yeah, good luck with that. And then he tries to pull the trigger. It doesn't work. And then the dragon mm-hmm. gets him. But I expected more of a payoff. Right. I had expected Silva at some point to get a hold of it during yeah. the climax. During, of course, the Wayne Manor sequence. Right. The way, exactly, yeah. The Wayne well, Manor okay, sequence, he, yeah. If there is one problem I have with Skyfall is that, and, and this is something that we complained about when we talked about quantum of excitement, boredom, uh, whatever, in an earlier episode, which was that that sad film was obviously chasing after the Born Identity crowd and was mimicking the Born Identity to a tremendous extent. I think maybe that's another reason why, because like that foot changes mm-hmm. o- over the rooftops. Yeah. I could have sworn I saw that yeah. in every Born movie where there was Whereas a chase over the rooftop. Skyfall seems to be chasing the Nolan Batman movie, yeah. Don't you think that Casino Royale was kind of going after the Bourne crowd, too? The plot maybe wasn't a Bourne plot, but I thought everything else about that was okay. Bourne. I thought the Daniel Craig Bond overall has been very influenced by the Bourne movies. And one problem I've had when people say, well, who's your favorite Bond? Is Dan- How does Daniel Craig measure up against the others? I, I haven't really felt until this movie that he was compare Bond. Craig to the other Bonds. Because he's not really the same character. Or he's not pre- presented the same, I guess. If you could compare the Casino Royale Craig to John Connery and Dr. No, I guess. But everybody else, no, he doesn't really compare to any of the other Bonds in in my mind. But now that we're at the end of Skyfall, he kind of does. Well, I think that in the case of Casino Royale, or Bond Begins, as I like to call it, there was some (laughs) born envy. But you had a director... Martin Campbell, who, unlike, let's say, when he did a certain film for Warner Brothers, which we will not mention, he was allowed some creative control over how he told this story. He was able to make it something other than a born knockoff, whereas the director of the next film could not. In fact, it became so overtly stylized as to also obscure any enjoyment that we could have gotten out of that film. Well, the guy tried to make an art film, yeah. James Bond movie, and you can't... And the funny thing is, Mendes has can't. made an art film. In Skyfall, Mendes has made a Bond that is an art film while it's also undeniably a Bond film. Yeah. I love the fact that every character has their own little color palette. You know what it reminded me a lot of, especially mm-hmm. at a very emotional point in the movie, which all of you who saw it know, reminded me a lot of one of Majesty's Secret Service. Peter Hunt, also, if you remember when we talked about that in the, that Guilt Edge Bond, made sure that each character had his or her own color scheme associated with him. I'm actually glad you brought up on Her Majesty's Secret Service because after I went and watched Skyfall, I knew we were going to do this yep. recording. I decided I was going to rewatch a couple of my favorite Bond movies and at the top of that list is on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I tried to fit in Living Daylights too, but I didn't get to it. But on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I rewatched it recently and I'm sorry, I shouldn't be interrupting, but hopefully we'll no, get no. to talk about that a little bit because I want to talk about on Her Majesty's Secret Service a little bit at some point during this too. Okay. okay um, and no how, how it compares to this movie. I think it could appears to this because, again, I go back to the Nolan Batman movies, is that this is more or less, quote, quote, a real world right. James Bond, just like on a Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. I could easily see Daniel Craig being in that movie because it's the same tone and same style. Oh, as- I find it interesting that people complain that this film is too much of the quote-unquote classic Bond. What, this one? Skyfall? Yeah, a lot. Really? I've had a number of people who said to me, no, I don't like it because I thought they were going somewhere interesting and new with the Bond franchise with Casino Royale and Quantum of uh, whatever. And now they're getting cowardly and going back to classic Bond. 
I can almost kind of see that because I was sitting there watching it. I really like Judy Dench, mm -hmm. and I like Judy Dench as M, too. But we got about halfway through the movie, and I'm thinking, I think I'm kind of done with the whole weird mother-son thing they've got going on. I'd like yeah. to go back to being a guy who sits behind a desk, gives Bond his missions, and makes him feel unappreciated in his job. Yeah. And then I got that at the end of the movie, and I didn't know how I felt about it. Once I got it, I was like, oh, really? Oh. You wish for something, and then you get it. And I kind of understand that disappointment a little bit. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand it. I do appreciate, by the way, that in hiring Ralph Fiennes to be the new M, mm -hmm. I'm assuming he's going to carry over in the next two films, they continue the James Bond Avengers symbiosis. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't consider that. You're right. I didn't have a problem with it. I actually do think it was a gutsy move for them to say, after three movies, now we're going to put everything back kind of the way it was, but still in a different sort mm -hmm. of way with the introduction of Miss Moneypenny, who I figured that was her because they're going through too much trouble to not tell us her name. Right. <laughs> I went with my mom because now at the point now with some of the AMC theaters are renovating some of their venues yeah. to include those big Barca lounger seats, the recliners and all. Kind of combat, I guess. People saying, oh, I'll watch it at home. Oh, God, I want to take that seat home. That seat was so comfortable. But anyway. And you know we're getting an Alamo Ale House here in Brooklyn, right? I heard. Yeah. I can get one of those in Baltimore. You got two or three. This is going to be the third in New York City. Yeah. There's going to be one in Manhattan on the east side. There's going to be one in downtown Brooklyn. And where's the third one going to be? There's going to be one in uptown, too. Oh, okay. Cool. During the previously referenced scene in the club, the Komodo Dragon in the middle of it for no readily apparent reason other than it needed an action sequence at that point. I said to my mom, after that exchange with Bond, where he enters and he has the exchange with the future Ms. Moneypenny. I mm. said, uh, it's Moneypenny. Yeah. I figured this out. But the thing is, Naomi Harris is just so good. And she is so much fun. And they have such a wonderful chemistry yeah. together. I really enjoyed watching the two of them. And you can see that Daniel Craig, when he smiles when he's acting with her, it's a genuine this smile. Episode. I didn't pick up on the Money Penny thing until the end when she said, My name is Money Penny. And, and when she first said that, I was disappointed because I really enjoyed her as a field agent. Yeah. But on the other hand, the trade off is that we're going to get to see her in future movies. And I really like Naomi Harris. Yeah. I, I love to watch her in any page she's in. That's great that she's going to be a recurring character along with Rob Fiennes. And Daniel Craig just had just such a genuine smile on his yeah. face in the scenes he had with her. It wasn't an uh, acting smile. It was like he, he seems, was happy, yeah. He seemed to actively enjoy working with her. Quite frankly, he seemed to actively enjoy working with everyone in this film. It, it oh, was, yeah. It was unlike Quantum of Excitement, Boredom, whatever. <laughs> You, you see, you totally screwed me up now, Russ. Thank you. That was my goal. Okay. There were times he seemed rather pissed off. He, yeah, he was so dour and pissed off, and mm -hmm. I don't think he did smile once through the whole movie. At least in this one, we get to see Daniel Craig smile a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, really smile. For the first time, he's really enjoying playing James Bond. His sneer is his nose growing. It cannot be told. No, Daniel I think, Craig is Pinocchio. No, I... Early scenes, when he's looking all rough, his nose looks as big as his face. I think his nose is growing. Holy crap. It's incredible to see. I think that's because he's just lost weight. Oh, well, he's been complaining. In the, he's like, if I had known I had to go through all this stuff, I would never have signed on for Bond. When you go back to Casino yeah. Royale, they look at his face here. Mm -hmm. He looks almost baby-faced. Yeah. Well, keep in yeah. mind, also, we're talking about... It's been almost 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. That's what I'm saying. 
Holy cow. Yeah, because this was, what, 2005, right? Yeah. So, even though there's only been three films, he's been doing this for close to ten years. Yeah, well, there was that four-year gap that we had. There was a four-year gap between Quantum and, and this one. And Skyfall, yeah. And I think the next one is going to be 2014, I think they're saying. Wow. Which worries me, because every time the Bond films do a two-year break as opposed to a three-year break, the film sucks. How fast did they put this together? It seems like Skyfall actually came together pretty quickly. Before the layoff, they were already talking with men. So Mendes must have already had ideas in his head as to what he wanted to do. Do we know if Mendes is coming back for the next movie? I would assume not. I think that he did this so that he has the cred so he can do whatever he wants for the next ten years. And if anybody had told me, because I saw that American Beauty, of course, which I didn't care for at all, and I saw Away We Go, which I loved, Mm -hmm. and I advise anybody, if you've never seen Away We Go with John Krasinski from The Office and Maya Rudolph, do yourself a favor and watch that movie this weekend. It's a wonderful, sweet movie. But mm-hmm. if you had told me that Sam Mendes was capable of directing an action movie like Skyfall, yeah. I'd have laughed myself into a hernia. Which but, is what we've said in the past about some other choices. Yeah, that whole scene at Skyfall where they right. actually had the final confrontation was just as thrilling as any sequence in any Bond movie that I've ever seen. Am I the only one who was really glad to find out that Skyfall was a death ray on a satellite or something? I was scared to death that that's what they were going to do. Like a huge laser beam, that was going to be Skyfall. I I thought maybe Skyfall was some sort of encrypted computer virus thingy that Varden was going to release. Yeah, fair enough. I didn't really know much about the movie going into it. I knew the cast, but I managed to avoid trailers going into this and I think that enriched my experience I wish I could do that more often but so hard to resist the thing that always struck me about the trailer it didn't tell you a lot about what was going on but it ended with that shot from the opening stinger sequence with him jumping onto the plane and adjusting his cuffs oh yeah now see that's to me now that's a bond moment I said that's James Bond yeah yeah because the movie theater that we saw it in when he ripped open the back of the thing and he did the flip and then he adjusted everybody in the movie said oh yeah because now you know, you say, okay, James Bond then, is back. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest. You kind of know even earlier. Right from that out-of-focus shot, and you know exactly who it is at the end of that corridor. It feels much different. Even the opening credits, those wonderfully <gasps> surrealistic. Oh, those I can't Can we gush about Adele for a second? The first freaking Bond theme of the Craig era that feels like a Bond theme. It's, you know how much I love You Know My Name. I still think You Know My Name it still makes it for me. Don't get oh, me wrong. I love no, Skyfall. Like Don't get me wrong. I adore You Know My Name. I've sung it at karaoke a number of times. Mm-hmm. It is a great Bond song, but yeah. it's not a classic Bond theme. I love Skyfall. I love that theme that Adele that, I, I thought it was great. And I've actually liked most of the themes for the Craig era. I will say that I like the song You Know My Name. I've heard yeah. covers of it that I really like. I'm not a big fan of Chris Cornell's solo. I think right. he has a tendency to crawl up his ass, artistically speaking. <laughs> um, Chris, where are you going? I'm going up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I like the song, though. I've got a great cover of it, and I can't remember the name of the band that did it, but I've liked both of the songs from the previous ones, but I agree that this is the first one that feels like a Bond theme to me. Yeah, this is old-school Shirley Bassey type. Uh, I could easily yeah. imagine Shirley Bassey belting this one yeah. out. Since we talked about Naomi Harris, what about the other Bond girl? Let's see if I can pronounce it correctly. Bernice Oh, she was great. She was very beautiful. She was gorgeous. My biggest problem was that she was almost an afterthought in the film. Her basic purpose in this film was to show how callous and cruel 
Silva was. Well, she was the obligatory sacrificial lamb that's in every James Bond movie. I, I, would, a, I would argue that M was a sacrificial lamb. No. She was a sacrificial lamb. Because really, there was no reason for her to die except to show us how cruel and callous Silva M died for a reason. There was a reason yeah. why she died, which to me is the purpose of when I talk about the sacrificial lamb mm-hmm. in a James Bond movie, it's the person who dies that for no other reason than to show how right. cruel the bad. Like Goldfinger, Joe Masterson, who gets covered with gold, or right. her sister, Tilly, who gets hit with the hat. They're the sacrificial lambs. There's no other reason for them to die. The girl that got covered in oil. Strawberry Fields. Strawberry Fields, right. Um, in Quantum of Solace. Yeah, there was no reason for her to die other than the fact that to show us what such a bad guy Dominic Green was. Mm-hmm. That line after he kills that woman whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Severine um, was the name of the character. When Bond goes, it's a waste of good scotch. I understand why that line was in there because yes. Bond was telling Sylvie, you're not going to rattle me. But mm-hmm. it still seemed kind of hard for considering everything he'd been through with that girl up to that point. And it always cracks me up while I was watching this movie, which is another comparison why I make to The Dark Knight Rises. It's such a big deal made about how Bond's body has been so debilitated yeah. by his drug and alcohol use. use. Yeah. But still, he manages to pull off <laughs> killing five guys with no problem. He does all of these stunts through the movie. we're on the subject of Chris Nolanisms. Yeah. Let's talk about Albert Finney, shall we? Oh, you mean Alfred? Yes. James Bond even gets a bat cave in yeah. this movie when MI6 moves their headquarters. This is the one thing that kind of niggled at me about the whole film. That it seemed like it was too much that they wanted to do their own Chris Nolan film. Well, I love the fact that they go back to the source books and discuss all of the stuff prior to Bond becoming a secret agent. Which I actually appreciate because yeah. I think that this is it's the, the first, first movie that they've explored his background and right. tell how his parents died and why he became an orphan. But giving him an Alfred bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> it bothered me in the fact that all of a sudden it became Home Alone for about 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't hear you deny it. No, 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 listen. I hear Honestly, though, it isn't the thing that bugged me most about the movie. It's mm-hmm. telling to me that the things that bugged me about this movie were very, very small. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the thing that bugged me the most was after they capture Silva the first time. Hugh gets a hold of Silva's laptop, and the first thing he does is he plugs an Ethernet cable in. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding? Me. Yeah. I, I was in the military and I've done government contracting. Mm-hmm. You don't just stick an Ethernet cable into a rogue computer. And then when it all starts to go to shit, he goes, wait a minute, what's going on? What happened? And I'm like, you don't know immediately? <laughs> yeah. on here? That was the thing that bugged me the most about the movie. And it was a very small, niggling little detail that most people aren't even going to notice. When he's stuck in the e- even I said myself, I said, why is he doing that? Isn't he going to check it out first yeah. or scan it to make sure that he's supposed to be such a genius? Maybe they did that to show well, this guy's not as smart as he thinks right. he is. And also, I think it might have been keeping with the fact that they consciously chose a much younger Q. Yeah. Someone who may have some inexperience in the field, if you will, is good theoretically in his head, mm-hmm. but when it comes down to doing things in real time, might make mistakes. And tell me you didn't smile during that scene where they first meet there inside yeah. the museum and the museum. they shake hands and call each other Q yes. and 007 for the first time. Oh, which I was did. great. Which I did. Harry Potter. I, I liked the actor. Yeah. Apparently he was in uh, Cloud Atlas too. He did a great job. I haven't seen Cloud Atlas yet, so I don't know. But I like the actor. He, I hope he comes back for future movies. I like the idea the Q in this version of the story is Harry Potter. <laughs> I just love the I've had spots older than you How do you like the whole layout of the MI6? The bunker? The yeah. bat cave Well I like the idea that they the went bond to something cave. <laughs> They went to something 
real life. And they were nowhere near as elaborate, but yes, it was correct, there actually were secret bunkers in and around Parliament during World War II in case of Nazi attack. It converted one of them to a museum so you can get a sense of what it was like. It was much more crowded than that. Hey, I feel like I'm throwing your groove off here. Do we want to talk about what the movie's about real quick? Because we're also excited yes. to start talking about it. We haven't really discussed what the movie was about yet, I think. Oh, okay. No, I think we were just going on the assumption that everybody listening to this has seen it at this point. Okay, Tom. Let's do it very briefly. Plot synopsis. In a mission in Istanbul with a new field agent who was unnamed at the time, Bond loses a database. It's a computer hard drive. It's a hard drive. Which contains all the names of all the major MI6 agents that have been placed as moles within terrorist organizations. Terrorist organizations. Bond is believed killed at the end of the teaser. Right. However, he comes back when it looks like MI6 is under attack. It don't look like it is is under under attack. attack. M's office is blown. Half the damn place is blown up. There's this mysterious person sending M mocking computer thingies through her laptop. Bond tracks this down to Silva, who turns out was a former field agent who worked with M when she was a section head. And in his mind, she gave him up. Well, she admits she did. Yeah. Because she said she got back six agents in return. Something really bad happened to him Mm. while that has, we learn, in a rather gross scene. And you know me, I always go back to what makes a good bad guy. He doesn't think he's a bad guy. When Silva explains to Bond why he's doing what he's doing, you say to yourself, okay, the guy's got a point. The last two rats. (laughs) So what do we do? Do we eat each other? Or eat everyone else. Yeah. I may not agree with how you're doing it, right. but I understand why you're looking for revenge against this woman. Mm-hmm. Especially since apparently he had the same weird mother-son relationship yeah. with him that Bond has with him. Which, of course, means that Silva kind of looks at him as a brother. Which I'm saying, M's got a lot of shit with her, too. <laughs> and he, he takes his revenge and ends through this very elaborate scheme, which, among other things, turns pretty much all of London into a weapon. Ultimately, it ends with Bond having to go back to literally the beginning, mm-hmm. to his long-abandoned estate, Skyfall, for a final showdown with Silva and his men. That's basically the plot. No, that was good. <laughs> we can go back to Gush. Here. We really want to talk about. Yeah. Hey, I want a movie about that guy that Bond was fighting in the pre-credit sequence, Patrice. Patrice, the. I want a movie the, about that guy. He was badass. That guy was pretty tough. He's a ghost. He wasn't no joke. That was one of the most beautifully. Since we're talking about cinematography, yeah. the one where Patrice is lining up the shot in the Singapore yeah. skyrise with the reflections. Of yeah. That weird. Jellyfish With the jellyfish, it was, ah, that was... But we come back to one of the things I really like about this film is that Mendez comes up with color schemes for everybody. Silva tends to be very black and white. Bond tends to be very earth tone. Almost like levels of a video game, each level has its own color scheme and makeup and design. I can see that. That engages the eye and keeps the eye moving. Yeah, this is a movie that definitely moves. There's always something happening. There's always something going on. But even with the complexities of the characters and the different elements that are being thrown at us, we're never, at least I was never lost. I knew exactly where I was. I knew exactly who was doing what at all times. After I had finished seeing it, I could have went back and saw it again. As opposed to that quantum picture where they kept trying to tell you where you were and you always got confused. I never knew where I was. It was just a really well-paced movie, I thought. I mean, I think one of the problems with Quantum of Solace was that when they did do action sequences, they just cranked it up to 11 mm-hmm. to the point where you almost didn't care anymore. Well, I know that you guys have both mentioned the airplane sequence in Quantum of Solace that you just thought after a while you just got bored with it. Yeah. And I think Skyfall did a really good job of keeping it exciting, but... 
also letting us breathe once in a while so that it didn't get old. Yeah, there was enough action in it that if you're an action junkie, you're satisfied. But it had enough characterization mm-hmm. in it that it wasn't just one big set piece after another. My admiration for this movie knows no bounds. I know that you and I have talked to him and said, well, his third movie is going to be the deal breaker. Bingo, he's James Bond. He's right. got it. He nailed it. No problem. I can forgive and be a little bit more understanding of Quantum of Solace now that I have this movie. Although I'm worried about the next film because Purvis and Way, who wrote this film, just like they've written the last six or seven films, have this habit of doing one really good one, one really bad one. Okay. You had Die Another Day, which is terrible. Then you had Casino Royale, which is great. You had the Quantum movie, which was You terrible. say Die Another Day is terrible. Die Another Day sucked ass. No, it didn't. Dead donkey ass, Derek. No, it didn't. It sucked dead donkey ass. To you? I never saw Die Another Day, so I can't chime in here. I did really like Pierce Brosnan as Bond, though, and I wish he had been better served by his scripts. Because I think GoldenEye was the only really great movie. And I say that having not seen Die Another Day, but from what I've heard, GoldenEye was the only really good Bond movie that he managed to pull out. Um, Well, don't worry about it, Russ, because I have found that I'm just about the only person who didn't think Die Another Day sucked. I actually like Die Another Day. The World Is Not Enough is seriously flawed, but it's, it's got its moments. So I wouldn't exactly say that only Goldeneye worked. Biggest problem with World is Not Enough, as we discussed in that episode that we did on those films, is that I thought that the big twist was too telegraphed, and I figured it out far too early. Right. What Purvis and Wave were counting on to be the big shock. It took me by yeah. surprise. You said that you saw And I know, and in your defense, I know another couple of people that did. It took me by surprise yeah. because they fooled me. Let me put it this way. I only wish that the guy that was presented to us as the villain had yeah. been a little bit stronger. Right. I don't think he was strong enough, especially after that big build-up that he got. Yeah, Robert Carlyle becomes almost an after-effect. Yeah. The next one, if we follow this, is not going to be very good. It's like the Star Trek movies. You live in eternal hope. Don't you, <laughs> you just Maybe they'll break it this time. Maybe. <laughs> as Bond fans, we go through all that crap at the beginning of the cycle. Oh, Jennifer Aniston's going to be the Bond girl this time. So-and-so's going to be the Bond girl. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. And you always have this feeling, please, no, 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 no. Luckily, this one worked out. You know what I think part of the reason this one worked out also? What? Outside of Craig and Dench. Craig has been made a big star by the Bond franchise. Dench has always been a big star. Now, let me ask you a question. This is something that Patricia asked me when we came out of the movie and we were talking. Mm -hmm. She said, hasn't Judy Dench been in an awful lot of Bond movies more than some of the... I think that... She's seven. Right. So that makes... Desmond Llewellyn, who played Q, was in the most. Desmond Llewellyn was in the most, followed by... Roger Moore had to be in more than seven. Roger Moore was in seven films in Roger Moore was in seven. Presently has the title for the longest-running Bond. Lois Maxwell was in everything up to... A View to a Kill? A View to a Kill. No, she was in that one, too. No, no, I said Up To. Oh, Up To. Oh, okay, right, I got you. So it's got to be like 14 or like that. Yeah, about 14. Wow. The original M was in everything up until The Spy Who Loved Me, at which point he died of cancer. Right. Judy Dench outlived uh, Robert Brown, who was in... Because she was in all the Brosnan ones. She was in all the Brosnan ones and all the Craig ones. And all the Craig ones, okay. she was in a total of seven. Seven, okay. Uh, Robert Brown started as M with Octopussy, Octopussy View to a Kill, mm-hmm. and the two Dalton films. So he was only in four. He was only in four. The okay. original one, Robert Fox, still has the record for most appearances as M. Okay. So, How about this? Is she the longest running character to die on screen? 
Most likely, yes. Yeah, I would say so. In fact, she's the first major Bond supporting character to die on screen. If we don't count Tracy Bond. Well, Tracy was a one-off, though. Yeah, that's true. But you don't get much more major than B.J. Bond's life. Supporting (laughs) character, I'm referring to a person who's been in multiple films. Wait a minute, I stand. She's not the first one because we count multiple films. Robbie Coltrane's character dies. At the end of World Zukov. Zukov, yeah. Uh huh. Because he counts oh, as yeah. he counts as a supporting character. Quarrel. Well Quarrel was in one. What's Quarrel was in two. Oh wait a minute. That Quarrel was Quarrel. Son of Quarrel. That was Son of Quarrel. Son and of Quarrel. Li- yeah, live and let die. Yeah. <laughs> so Hey something else I want to say about this. I don't know about you guys, but it's become part of the movie watching ritual for me and Trinan both is we watch a movie and the first thing we do is we pull up IMDB and look mm-hmm. at all the trivia. About right. Okay. Are we the only ones who do that? Mm-hmm. I want to say that James Bond trivia on IMDb is the lamest trivia mm-hmm. that you will find. It's ridiculous. This is the second Bond movie where Bond is shown with a beard. <laughs> this is one of the second film where he's been shot. On Skyfall, it's it's ridiculous, and it's all like that. All the minutiae that you just you don't care about, and it's all in there, man. Just pages and pages of it. Instead of the real trivia, I do believe this is the mm-hmm. first movie where we learn the names of James Bond's parents. Right. It's on the tombstone. Um, something about that. At the end there, when Silva is walking up to the little church, and he right. sees Bond's parents' gravestone, and he sees the names on it. Was there supposed to be another meaning there? Do you think maybe M is somehow related oh, to God. Bond? I, I don't think the little Broccoli's would dare do something that dramatic. Just the way he stopped and, yeah. and laughed about the names. And he said something like, perfect. And I was like, are they trying to say something there? I, yeah. I, I yeah. think it was more a case of, great, he gets to be buried not far from where he's going to die. I think it's open to a number of different yeah. interpretations. I wouldn't be surprised if Javier Bardem, because he's just that good of an actor, yeah. if that's something he didn't improvise mm-hmm. right on the spot, mm-hmm. just to give that scene just a little extra kick and to spark exactly what we're doing now. Right. Well, why did he do that? But I don't think that M is Bond's literal... I don't think he's actually related to either, right. even though he does consider her, because there is a part of Quantum of Solace where somebody asks him, well, does she think that she's your mother? He said, well, she thinks that she yeah. is. It's pretty obvious he does consider right. her. Well, you know that, Marm? Marm? Well, everybody calls her that, Mom. Very well, Marm. <laughs> Jesus. Yes, Mom. Yes, Mom. Even though you know who she actually is, in who? my mind. Who? She's Rachel Gould. <laughs> Well, you laugh. Wait a minute. What did Rachel Ghoul run? The League of Shadows. Okay. And she has that speech about shadows. The... Right. She had that speech about shadows. And what else is the 007 but assassins? Okay. All right. She's Rachel Ghoul. Okay. I keep telling you. We go back to the Nolan verse. The Nolan verse. Her and Liam Neeson, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. Thank you very much, Russ. I don't want to think about Judy Dench. And Just Neeson remember, folks, you heard it here first. Oh. Some things cannot be unseen. <laughs> so we're all in agreement this is a good film. And this is a worthy Bond film. I think this is a great Bond film. I think that it's actually the first classic Bond film of this new era right. that we have. Let me ask you one thing, though, before we go on to talk about Craig in general. What did you guys make of the fact that Mendes made a conscious decision to make as the exotic city we visit this time London itself? I kind of like that. I, I thought it was a very refreshing little yeah. change. Because what was well, last time? I don't understand that necessarily because he did go to different places besides London. He, yeah. goes, he goes to Singapore. And then he goes to that magical empty island of Silva's. You know? <laughs> the I mean, magical empty. I, I think I get what you're saying, but it's not the only exotic yeah. locale. That, that what I'm saying is each one, though, has a particular locale that is the central site of the story. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's okay. what I meant. The exotic city of the film, it turns out to be London. Although we do go to Turk and the Stinger, and we do go to Singapore, and we do go to... I think we're going to use that from now on. The Empty Island of Silva. That was cool! Magical Empty Island. Yeah, yes. that, that was actually pretty cool. I, I like cool. that idea. It was cool that it was a great idea, but they didn't really milk it that much. Yeah. It was just this cool idea thrown into the middle of the movie. Which is something that we used to have in Bond films. Back when we did the last Guilt Edge Bonds, Derek, you and I said we were going to make a decision on what we felt about Craig after we saw the third film. Okay. We have now seen the third film, so let's talk about Daniel Craig has... A bond as a whole. What do we think? It was it's like stacked up against other James Bond, or just, or, or just him alone. Just, just him say. alone. But we can also address the stack up because you know there are a number of chuckleheads right now. Oh, Craig is the best Bond. Craig is the best Bond. Well, you know how I rate James Bond. Yeah. First of all, I don't even include Sean Connery in that. I put him on a shelf by himself up above the rest because his performance was so iconic. I don't even think it's fair to compare him to everybody else. I well, think uh, Connery on a shelf is the latest holiday gift. <laughs> <laughs> the, the people who brought the, you. The Sean Connery sitting on your shelf. The Argento de Capomatic. <laughs> and the hopper in a bottle. <laughs> Where would I put him? Well, I'd definitely put him above Roger Moore. Oh, yeah. I gotta put him above George Lazenby. I'm glad to see that, if I may digress for a minute, that Order of Majesty's Secret Service is finally, in the last couple right. of years, been getting the respect that it should have gotten for a long time. Well, because people it, are finally seeing it in, in the form it was intended to be seen. Right. It was the redheaded stepchild yeah. of the whole Bond franchise for the longest time. When I told people, even when I was a kid, I, saw, yeah. I said, this isn't bad. It's a good yeah. movie. The only problem people have in it is that Sean Connery isn't in it. Well, folks, it's time to get over that yeah. and just judge the movie for what it is. To be fair, most people like you and I saw that film in that weird-ass two-part badly edited. Yeah, on ABC. And Remember that? that? Yeah, and that, I think, affected the popular opinion of it as a film. That weird thing that James Bond yeah. himself narrated. Narrating, going yeah. back and forth in time, and it ended up, I think, damaging the film's reputation. And now that with DVD, and now that we had had the new, new Ultimate Collection, but we had the Ultimate Collection released in 2004, just before Casino Royale came out. People are finally seeing it in the form it was intended to, and they realize this was a great film, and Lazenby, if he wasn't a fucking dickhead, would have been a great Bond if he had got a lot of himself the to go The man forward. made a bad business choice. Yeah. We gotta call him all that. The only thing that Daniel Craig, and I think that what a lot of people, we got a Bond who didn't have the polish Right. Of the previous, especially Pierce Brosnan mm-hmm. and Roger Moore, who were guys who were polished so brightly that they shone. Craig has got some of that Connery coarseness that we like to see in Bond, but we like to see a little bit of polish in him too. And I think he had more of it in this movie than he did in the previous two. We do see a little bit more polish, especially at the end. Right. When, as I go back to saying, to me, that's when he's really James Bond. And we get to hear the music. I like how they use the music. They always right. save it for the really big moments. And we don't hear the James Bond theme until he gets to ask tomorrow. Yeah. That, I said, okay, that's when you use it. You don't use it every five minutes when you feel like it. Who would I put him up above? I'm sorry, I, I can't put him above Brosnan, though. I just hold on to my man crush on Brosnan. <laughs> well, he was very concealed. Yes. Oddly enough, I wasn't a big Remington Steel fan. I really didn't care for that show all that much. It was too much like a moonlighting knockoff I mean, to me. The only time I liked it was during those two years that Brian Clemens was the showrunner. He introduced 
Major Descoin, who was like a recurring bad guy. He sent them to England for a while to do Avengers pastiches and stuff. Oh, okay. I don't really remember the show that well. I was just talking shit. Oh, that's I, okay. I don't really, I don't remember Brosnan as a Remington Seal very well, but I really liked him as James Bond. Mm-hmm. I wish he'd been better served by his scripts. I wish also that he had gone in that fifth film that supposedly they had told him he was going to do, and then they decided against it. Didn't he just say he just got a phone call one day and they said, yeah. okay, well, you fired? And this he, was the longest time before you found out why? This is why I say that they never said until after Dino of the Day came out uh-huh. that they were going to reboot the franchise. Apparently, Apparently, they had started work on something, and they had him signed up for a fifth film, and then decided after the grosses came in, nah, Pierce, I don't think we're going to do that anymore. Because, as we all know, the end of the day sucked donkey ass. Only to you? So we know where Derek stands, Tom. What about you? Timothy Dalton is still going to... Okay, apparently the younger Anderson does not like Timothy Dalton. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I still think Timothy Dalton was the best iteration of Bond we've ever had because he was the closest to the books. Even more than Daniel Craig? I would say even more than Daniel Craig. Even though Craig, they take a lot of the backstory that we never saw from the books. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, in the Godfall, we get a lot of backstory about Bond. not in my mind. I don't see Ian Fleming's James Bond when I look at... Craig, I see a separate entity. Timothy Dalton still is at the top of that heap. Much like Roger Moore. The, like, is the yeah. exact opposite. He's the anti-Bond. Yeah, I look at him, I don't see Ian Fleming. When I look at Sean Connery and when I look at yeah. Timothy Dalton, I see Ian Fleming's James Bond. Mm-hmm. Even Pierce Brosnan, I like him. I don't see Ian Fleming's Bond, but I like him enough. See, the that, thing that, I, that fascinates me about Brosnan is he's almost emerging yeah. of the two camps. You're right, Connery and Moore. He's got that ruthlessness of Dalton and Connery, but he's also got the smoothness and the lightheartedness of Moore. Roger Moore, yeah. So he becomes this sort of amalgam compromise bond, if you will. Good point. Craig, I think one thing that you and I discovered when we talked about Guilt Edge Bonds is it took about two to three films for any bond to get his footing. He's definitely worthy to be here. Oh, absolutely. At this point. And it's obvious that he's much more confident in the role than he was in Casino Royale. The big question to me is, how are they going to take this franchise now that they've got this character firmly established? And that's going to dictate where eventually he ends up. I think that he's above Roger Moore, but then the dog I saw on the street is above Roger Moore in my mind. (laughs) Cold, man. I'm not a fan of Roger Moore. Well, neither am I. I'll avoid the Roger Moore movies now, but I'll tell you what, just the era that I grew up in, Mm-hmm. When I hear the words James Bond, his face is the first face that I yeah. see in my head. For an entire generation, and you can't get around it no matter how much you dislike the guy. And even we have said that he has made some worthy James Bond yes. movies. Well, you that's know, why, that's he, why was, he gets me so angry. The guy was James Bond yeah. for an entire generation. There are people who don't even know Sean Connery as James mm-hmm. Bond. For them, it's Roger Moore. And I think the other thing we should take into account is that Craig is the right Bond for this movie-going public. Oh, oh, and, oh yeah. And it's interesting, because this is the first Bond, unlike the other four who came before him, who were tailored to fit the series. This is the first one where they go, we want Bond to be embraced by this modern-day consumer. And he has been tailor-made for this modern-day consumer, so he's almost like he's a different animal. Good point. We might have to revisit this when it's time for Craig to go, mm-hmm. whatever that is. He's signed for two more films, and he's kind of already grumbly about it. <laughs> I read an interview with him where he said that he was glad that Skyfall got going when he did. Yeah. He's 44 or 45 mm-hmm. now. 
and he's, he already feels that he's starting to get too old. Well, yeah, well, you think he's already got his eye on that. We aren't going to have a Roger Moore situation. Oh, yet. thank God. That's one reason why I think it's so important to know when it's time for me to go and right. let another guy step in. But Roger Moore, he wanted to quit after every one. It was them that kept giving him a bigger paycheck. It see, was the producers. You look at it as he wanted to quit. I see him as using wanting to quit as a tool to get more money. We'll never know. I'm just going by what I heard and what I read was that, yeah, he wanted to quit, but they said no because they were very happy right. with him. Audiences were very happy with him. And every James Bond movie he made made more money than the previous right. one. You know? Until A View to a Kill. A View to a Kill, yeah. that big nosedive Ooh. in the box office. And if he does leave after two because you figure, hey, the next one they're saying is coming out in 2014. If we take three more years between Bond 24, right? Right. And Bond 25, he will then be 49 years old. If he bows out at that point, he will have avoided the Roger Moore syndrome. Which also means that Zac Efron will be old enough to play Bond by then. <laughs> you take that back. I will not. You take that back right now. I will not. You just might end up seeing Zac Efron play James Bond. Don't laugh. I had too many nightmares of Michael Bay taking over the franchise and casting Shia LaBeouf. Zach Efron, he's got the whole high school musical thing, I guess. But he actually does seem to be making an effort to build a real career for himself. Mm-hmm. So in five, six years, he might be a badass. There was a time when I would have thought Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be a, an annoying cream boy actor for the rest of his life. <laughs> he's actually turned into a pretty good actor. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. If anybody had told me that the kid exactly. from Third Rock from the Sun would become a legitimate action star, I'd have laughed myself into a hernia. Yeah, I'll go see anything Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in. I really like to watch him. Because aren't they talking about him being Batman in the Justice League movie? Oh, don't get me started. Whatever the, get me started. Whatever the hell they're going to do with it this week. <laughs> I think that was just a rumor that was unfounded. You say that now, but I hear the sounds of movie executive Kermit. They are so disorganized. Every week is something different what they're going to do with that damn thing. I'm not convinced that Levitt would do it. Yeah. Honestly. I don't think he would. Yeah. I think Levitt. He's choosy about his stuff. He probably only did Batman to work with Nolan again. So, So, Russ, what do you think about where Craig sit in the mantle? Well, it's hard for me to pick a favorite James Bond. Mm -hmm. They're all like my children. They all have different strengths. Like Roger Moore. I don't really like to go back and watch the Roger Moore movies, but in my head, he is James Bond. He's the first James Bond that comes to mind. I really, really liked Pierce Brosnan. I remember when the Timothy Dalton movies came out. They started coming out when I was in junior high, and I think License to Kill came out my freshman year of high school. Me and all my friends, we just hated Timothy Dalton as James Bond. We just thought he was awful because we grew up with Roger Moore and we didn't know any better. As I have grown older, though, I've gotten a great appreciation for Timothy Dalton. And I think of the pre-Craig Bonds, I think I'm going to have to go with Dalton, too. Even though some days Pierce Brosnan edges him out. But I'm going to go with Timothy Dalton today, just to back Tom. Like I said, I went back and watched on Her Majesty's Secret Service Mm -hmm. recently. And I really liked Lazenby. Honestly, the only thing I didn't love about Lazenby as Bond was that he just seemed really, really young. He was only 29 when he did that Mm -hmm. movie. And maybe that wouldn't have bothered me so much back when I was 16, but now I'm well into my late 30s. He just seems very, very young to be James Bond to me. But I thought Lazenby did a great job, too. I think we don't really have a lot to complain about with the Bonds that we've had. I think Daniel Craig is the James Bond that I want to watch right now, though. Even Roger Moore, the only really Roger Moore movie that I will say that I will absolutely cannot stand to watch is A View to a Kill. Even Moonraker. If Moonraker comes on, I won't turn it off. I'll leave it on in the background while I'm doing something else. But I won't sit down and watch it like I will The Spy Who Loved Me. The Spy Who Loved Me 
me, I'll actually sit down and I'll watch that bad boy. Moonraker is goofy fun. You can just not be emotionally involved in the fact that this yeah. is fun. I mean, they have space marines in that movie. How can you hate that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, if it was the space marines from Aliens. <laughs> it would have been a very different movie. Yes. <laughs> And I actually do like the scene where he's in the Amazon River and yeah. he has a speedboat and then he goes over the cliff and then it turns into a hang glider. Yeah. I, I watch that I say, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Whenever I picture Sean Connery in my head, he's wearing a tuxedo. I picture Timothy Dalton and I see a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. I see Pierce Brosnan in a tuxedo. I even see Daniel Craig in a tuxedo. Every time I try to picture Roger Moore, I see him in those fucking leisure suits. In leisure suits. In yeah, leisure During suit. the films in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Bond should not have to wear leisure suits. Mm, this is yeah. true. And there are two or three films where Moore does not wear at all a tuxedo. In Spy Love Me, he wears a tuxedo. He wears a tuxedo in Spy Love Me, but I'm talking about Live and Let Die, he never wears a tuxedo. He never wears a tuxedo. I think the same thing with The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, I think you're right. At least once in a James Bond yes. movie, he should wear a tuxedo. He should have he to should, go. Yeah. Somewhere he has to wear a tuxedo. Or on the black and white, yeah. Which is why I love the scene where he goes into the club with the Komodo Dragon, yeah. because we get to see Bond in a tuxedo. Whereas in the first one, Casino Royale, the girl practically had yeah. to put a gun to his head to make him want to wear a tuxedo. I have a dinner jacket. Now, moving forward from here. Yes. We now have our cast kind of established, because we've got Craig, we've got Ray Fiennes' M. Looks like we got Naomi Harris's Money Penny and Ben Winslow as Q. As Q. How do you feel? We about got this? Chief of Staff, right. Bill Tanner, Rory Kinnear. How do we feel about this going forward with this particular setup? I was glad because you know what I almost half expected to see. Wow. Remember at the end of the movie where it says 007, are you ready to go to work? Yeah. And he throws the folder on the desk. I said, please don't let it say doctor, no. Because that's what I was scared it was going to Oh, yeah, of course. The whole Batman begins. Oh, yeah. he left this playing card. Right. I said, don't, please don't let it be doctor, no. And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he was saying, well, do you think they're going to remake the other ones? I said, I hope not. I don't think they're going to do it. They had so much success with original story. Yeah. There's really no reason for Which them to Which is why I think the Austin DB thing allows us to slot all those films in there. Makes no sense because of the chronology, but if we wanted to we can say that, well, he had all these other adventures that's why he has the Austin Martin DB mm-hmm. in storage in London. Right. Because he fought Goldfinger in between Quantum and this film, and he fought Scaramanga and all those guys. Or we could take the fact that it gets completely blown up at the end yeah. is that we're blowing up the entire thing right. from here on everything that's the last holdover from the mm-hmm. classic Bond right. era once that's blown up everything is up for grabs <laughs> because if they start remaking the movies right. then they're stuck in that so whoever takes yeah. over from Bond after him has to keep on because the other thing we have to take into account is that Barbara Piccoli and Michael G. Wilson are not getting any younger. Right. There is probably going to be within the next maybe 15 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Even you know, that sooner than that. Not sooner than that. Yeah. There is going to be a handoff. It's going to be the first time that the Bond series will not be run by the Piccoli family in some way. We know how that's gone in the past. Uh, <laughs> sound the McClory alert! <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah, I mean, I prefer that they do the original things. The other thing that, that struck me about the, that ending was that it had echoes of that whole Star Trek alternate universe bull crap that we went through with J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. We can do whatever we want now because this isn't really the actual universe, it's a different universe. Although in this case it was more like a spiritual thing than a actual solid right. 
other universe. And my biggest worry is that they're going to go, let's do Goldfinger again. Yeah, but you know what they can always do? Okay, the next one. Say that they have that. The movie starts off, say, at the tail end with the final shot yeah. of the original Dr. No. Right. And then we go into original. So then we could just say, Dr. No just it's happened, happened right. and it's over with. Now he's going off on I another adventure. That, but it's, yeah. that, it worked. That's why you said you, you hoped that the folder didn't say Dr. No. I hoped that it did. Because we don't need to see Dr. No in the next movie, but it's fun to think that maybe Dr. No happened between this movie and the next movie. Right, well, you right. Know, they were doing that after Quantum was over. The thing that people would want is Blofeld. Oh, you think they're going to bring that organization back, Quantum? I think they learned their lesson. No, I think they're going to. I, I was surprised that it didn't come up in this. Like, even, they didn't even give it a shout-out. When shit starts blowing up, M doesn't go, was this Quantum? It surprised me that they didn't even do that. I'll bet we're going to be hearing from Quantum in the next one. Yeah, especially after Quantum had them so rattled in the last one. They yeah. said, well... We don't know who these people are, and why, yeah, like Russ, I was at least expecting them to mention it could be these quantum bastards acting up again, and that could have been a red herring that right. they followed, but I guess they didn't want to muddy the water in. And let's face it, they had already had a lot of plot to deal with right. already, yeah. In conclusion. In conclusion. Let me ask you a quick question. Sure. And I can't remember if you guys have discussed this before, but real quick, just a speed round, favorite Bond girl. Oh, Diana Rick. Tom? I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I may not have an answer for you. That's the sad thing. I'm Mrs. Bond. Most important, definitely, but he's talking about favorite. Yeah, well, she's the person that, that, that turns your crank, I think. Diana well, Rigg. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I have an answer. I'm sorry. I, I'm... Well, I'll tell you what. I was thinking about this while yeah. I was watching the movie, and I was like, most Bond girls, I know this isn't a, isn't a probably isn't a popular opinion, most Bond girls are pretty interchangeable. You throw them in a bag, and you yeah. take the bag up and pull a Bond girl out. One's going to be as good as the other. And that's not the actress. <laughs> bag of Bond girls. No, but he's from Better Than Dark Industries. No, but he's right. the actress's fault. It's threat. And yeah. I think the Bond girls that have stuck out, it's been because of the script, not necessarily mm-hmm. because of the actor. So, with that in mind, I'm with Derek that Diana Rigg is mm-hmm. my favorite, but I will say that Vesper is right on her coattails. Right. And it's for that reason. She was important to the movie in a way that most Bond girls aren't. Good point. And also, I know this isn't a movie a lot of people like, but I like a Diamonds of Forever, Jill St. John. Oh, I yeah, like no, her. See, like she turns my crank, yeah. Because, again, as Russ points out, see, she was important to right. the plot. She contributed, so she wasn't just there as decoration. She you was, know what I saw recently, Derek? The, what? Uh, the pilot for the Batman TV series, the 66 Batman series. Yeah. Jill St. John was in that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I gotta watch that. Yeah, she disguises herself as Robin at one point, and I'm like, that's just not Oh, yeah! Yeah! I did. You, Jill St. John in a Robin costume. Go Google that, folks. Yeah. <laughs> and Thanks. Ursula Andress has to go down in history. Yeah. She's not my favorite, but, but she, she is, the is the, she is the first. Well, I don't know about everybody would agree. There are two things that a woman will always look good in. One is a sports jersey, much and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And two is. A male superhero outfit. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. The reverse is not true, though. You can't... No, 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 no. So that's it for Guilt Edge Bonds for a couple of years now. Yeah, and we finally brought this to uh, what I hope for you <laughs> listeners is a satisfying conclusion. And to sum up, well, we really like this movie. If you have not seen Skyfall yet, I have no idea what you're waiting for. By all means... Go to your local Cineplex and watch it, and when it comes out on DVD or Blu-ray, buy it. It might be the first Blu-ray I buy. Yeah. So on that, I guess it's time for the administrative. Uh, granted, now most of the administrative is now taken care of by that little bump that you've been hearing since, I think, 2000, uh, 2012. 1,000... Uh, blah, 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 blah. 
142. Okay. So before we tell you where you can email us and how you can send money to us and tell people about the various books and stuff that we've got planned, and we've got one of the people who puts out some of those books online so he can pimp his wares in person. Awesome. So, Russ, take it away. What have I got going on right now? Well, we've got the Oakwork Christmas Special 2012 just came out. Mm -hmm. Joel Jenkins put it together. It's got four Christmas-related stories by me, Derek, Joel, and... Joshua. I'm sorry, Josh Reynolds. And that is free until the end of today. And anybody listening to this, it's too late. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a time machine, you can go back to... December 14th and get yourself a free Kindle copy of this book. Hop in your TARDIS and go back. Let me say, I love the fact that I'm able to to do that back and forth on Joel's story to the footnotes because I'd be totally lost. Like, what are they saying now? Yeah, the Kindle functionality with that is pretty cool. Mm. There is a PDF. This is actually Joel's baby. Joel put this Christmas special together. There's also a PDF copy available at the Hulkwork site. It's uh, www.pulpwork.com and you can download that until December 31st. And after that, you got to pay for it. Is it wrong of me to say that I was laughing at parts of your story, Russ, that I don't think I should have been laughing at, but I couldn't help myself. Oh, no. It's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> you got a couple of dudes with Santa's dead body in their trunk. It's, it's not supposed to be taken seriously. I mean, there's some pretty awful stuff that happens in this story, but I couldn't help it. I was cracking up while I was reading it. And I finished reading it, and then I went right back to the beginning, and I read it again. Folks, it's a wonderful story. It is. Mm-hmm. Trust me. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad we finally got to put that Dylan story out. Yeah, well, I did get a couple of emails from people that said that it was a very different Dylan story. They didn't expect that. They didn't think I would write something like that. And it's the beginning of the year of Dylan. Yeah, next year, 2013, which is Mm -hmm. the 10th anniversary of the publication of uh, Dylan, the Voice of Odin. And Russ had a very big hand in that coming about. And as always, I appreciate and I thank you for it, my friend. My pleasure, man. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Holy crap. Neither can I. Is you that, know, you is know, that 10 years since it appeared on Frontier or 10 years since we published the book? 10 years since we published the book. Wow. Which means actually Dylan is older than that. Right. <laughs> yeah, but it's been 10. And I had no idea until I, I was talking with Josh Reynolds. And Josh Reynolds was saying, how long has it been since that book has been out? I said, I really don't know. And then I went back and I looked and I said, holy shit, 2013 is going to be 10 years. So then I said I wanted to do something special for it, which is what I'm doing. So I'm working with an artist right now. Somebody's been signed? Yeah, somebody's been signed. I can't say as okay. yet. And what's going to happen is that the book is going to be reissued. We're going to make the books look uniform. They're right. going to look like part Have of the a, series. A trade, an actual right. unified trade. The same press. artist is going to do the covers because I'm going to reissue mm-hmm. all of the books with new covers. And in the 2013 edition mm-hmm. of Dylan, the Voice of Odin, there's also going to be a backup Eli Creed story. So for those of you who are fans of that character, you have something extra to look mm-hmm. forward to. And of course, I want to put some extra in there so that people spend their hard-earned money. They're not just getting the same right. book all over again with just a new cover. Plus, That's there's a, a new Dylan book coming, a kind of crossover. Yeah, 2013. Yeah, I'm down to the last mm-hmm. chapter of the book okay. now. Crossover, Josh Reynolds and I both wrote it. He wrote the part. It takes place in the 1930s, starring Jim Anthony, and then the story continues in modern day with Dylan hunting up a retired Jim Anthony, looking for him to train mm-hmm. him. Why haven't you done an anthology of stories with Dylan doing crossovers with other new pulp characters? 
because the people who don't write the stories. <laughs> and, uh, Derek, I started writing a Dylan story a few years ago, and I, I even showed it to you, but I didn't know of anywhere to put it, so I just stopped writing it, man. If you start putting together an anthology, I'll write you something. Oh, he was talking about a crossover thing, a straight anthology. I could probably do that <laughs> next month, really. Said Russell yeah. started a story. Josh Reynolds said he'd be happy to write mm-hmm. one. And there's been a couple other people that's done it. As I far as you and I have talked about doing that collaboration. Right. As far as doing crossovers, I've never really sat down and talked seriously with people about doing crossovers or anthologies. But no, yeah. Oh, no, but Russ, yeah, I know you've got one. But see, he's just waiting on my lazy sloth for that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I got all of these different things that's going on, but I'm slow as hell about right. putting them together. But I have had a couple of other people, like Brent Lambert, who we mm-hmm. all know. He said he would be happy. But he wants to do a Dylan story and a Sebastian Red story. And I'm right. waiting on both of them. So, Brent, if you listen to this, and I know you are. Get, get in touch in here. Yeah, get in touch with me. Now, what else besides Dylan do you have coming from Pulp Express, Russ? That's it. I've got a couple of stories in at Pro Se that probably mm-hmm. won't see publication until the middle of next year. Right. And doing something else for Pro Se at the moment. I don't really have much for... Pulp work at the moment. I've had a Western mostly written for three years that I really need to get around to finishing. There's really nothing coming out right now that I can talk about except for the Pulp Work Christmas special. Now, I, I don't like to talk about things too far in advance because then they don't get done for one reason or another, and, and I just feel like a punk for talking about it in the first place. Like this Western that I started writing that thing six years ago, back when Frontier was still a thing, and it's about 75% done, but Every year, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to finish it this year, and we're going to publish it. And everybody's like, okay, great, put it on the schedule, and then I don't get it done. So, oh, is this Turtle Run? Yeah, Turtle's Run. Oh, okay. Yeah, now, yeah. let me so, add... There's nothing... I've got a bunch of stuff in the hopper right now, a bunch of stuff finished. But most of it, I don't know when it's coming out. So, uh, there's not really much to talk about except the Christmas special, unfortunately. Now, let me ask you, because people are always asking me this question. Are we going to see another How the West Was Weird? Yes. Yeah, I'm hoping that I can get that done next year, but I can't put it. I was I was hoping that I could come on to this show today and go, this is your big announcement. We're going to have How the West Was Weird in June, but I don't think that I'm ready for that yet. Right now, I've got a five-month-old daughter All right. and a three-year-old daughter who's just starting preschool. And yeah, I just, I don't want to commit to it and then not have it materialize. So I'm going to get my thinking cap on. Um, Understandable. I'm hoping, that, I'm hoping that it'll be out next year, but I'm not sure when yet. Okay. Okay, understandable. Well, I guess I better get my thinking cap on, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get to, get to writing the story. If you write the story, maybe I'll feel so bad that I'll... I'll... <laughs> <laughs> well, which one would you want, though? i got two characters running around in your weird west. Oh, I like Doc Thunder better. Do a Doc Thunder story. Well, we'll talk when we get done with this. Okay. Other two places, of course... Russ made reference to Pro Se Press, run by Tommy Hancock, the home of Sovereign City, where you can go and purchase The Adventures of Fortune McCall. Four stories set in that wonderful riverside place involving a gambling boat owning mysterious man of adventure <laughs> and his I love that he, you try to explain Doc Savage-like courtier. Oh, he's, the, he's like the Black Panther and Doc Savage, and he's on a riverboat. Yes. I forgot about that. The okay. bingo! There you go. Okay. And, of course, the other Sovereign City denizens. Well, there's Lazarus Gray, written by Barry Reese, of course, and hopefully coming soon from Tommy Hancock himself will be Doc Day. 
Dow Jones. In fact, I was working on the Damocles gun this morning. Okay. The, the Dow Jones, which is the new character, and there's also supposed to be more new stuff coming from Sovereign City, but we'll give you that information as it becomes available. Yeah, Barry Reese has got another character called Grave Digger that's right. going to be appearing soon. And hopefully sometime next year, I, of course, after I squeeze into my schedule, mm-hmm. you, you'll see the return of Fortune McCall. But I have to do that after I do because I'm going to be writing, I guess I could tell you about it now right. because I put it on my blog and everything. I'll be writing a Fight Club novel for that series. That's going to be coming out in February. Brooklyn oh, cool. Beat. I, I downloaded the first novel uh, to my Kindle. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet. I'm looking forward to it. That looks like a fun series. Oh, yeah. I just read Irish Dukes. Last night. They're very tight 30,000 word stories. There's no padding on them. There's no fat on it. They all take place during the 1950s. If you're a fan of fight movies, try to imagine like the Warner Brothers boxing movies from the 1940s. That's what they're a lot like. It's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing this one that's going to take place in Brooklyn. Right. In the world of bare knuckle ballroom brawling. First rule of Fight Club is you don't read about Fight Club. And finally, of course... Not one of my favorite movies. It's time to salute Mr. Ron Fortier. Mm-hmm. And Airship 27. 27. Yay! Um, salute. There we go. Now, Sinbad is out. Yeah. Well, Sinbad, Sinbad's been out for a while. Wow. Yes. The new voyages. Mm-hmm. So far... People and in fact, there's there's enough now for a second volume. Which yeah. Coming out. A couple of weeks after he had, the first, he had enough stories for like two volumes right off the bat. No problem. So uh, I think the next volume will be out next year. Tales from the Hanging Monkey. I keep hearing that there's going to be a second one. I don't right. know if I'm going to have a story in that one due to time constraints. But mm-hmm. that is something, certainly, if you like the first volume, keep your eye out for the next one. And, of course, there will be The Real Agenda, which is the right. Dylan Jim Anthony, which is a co-production mm-hmm. of Airship 27 and Pulper Press. And that will be out next year. And, of course, also out next year will be New Roads to Hell, the first Shadow Legion novel. Yeah, uh, waiting for you to get around to um, it. Well, well, you get finished first. No, oh, okay. We're so polite today. We are. But we have a Do we have a release date for that yet, Tom? All I can tell you is it looks like we've got an interior illustrator, so I'm hoping it's the first half of 2013 because I feel like I've been beating the drums forever on this thing. But it's definitely going to be out in next year. Great. And I'm already working on Volume 2. Which isn't that far away. Yes. As, <laughs> as of this recording, is only a couple of weeks away. I'm already working on the second book, which is the short story collection, The Shadow Legion Casebook, Volume 1. The first story is done. It's just being polished. And we're well through on some of the other stories. Hopefully, My hope is that it'll be ready so that we can have it maybe done at the end of 2013. Plus, I'm working on something else for Ron, something shorter. But I've been having a lot of fun doing the research on that because that particular series is kind of unintentionally gay. Okay. <laughs> oh, I read no serial. Okay, okay. This is what happened when I did the Domino Lady story, which also, by the way, is coming out soon. The Domino Lady comic book story for All Star Pulp Comics. Oh, which we should mention, yeah. All Star yeah. Pulp Comics with too my, is coming out. My so. good friend Michelle Shuda. So, just like with the Domino Lady stories, when Ron asked me to do something based on this character, I went out and found a collection of the original stories and started reading them. And I've been reading them off my Kindle. And there's a a sequence where the character gets knocked unconscious. He wakes up and he's been tied up by the bad guys. Okay. And the writer explains that him and his special assistant, uh, apparently he has his his confidant. Sounds vaguely sexual. Yeah, here it goes. No, it gets gets better. (laughs) It gets so much better. Keep it clean. The author (laughs) mentions that this character has had his confidant, who is a college chum of his, tie him up at night for experimental purposes. Keep it clean. And I'm thinking, 
Dude, if he's tying you up at night, it's no longer experimental. <laughs> but that, are they both in college? They, no, they, they, they were college friends. They're not in college anymore. Oh, no. Lord. Oh, yeah, that's not experimental anymore. Yeah, oh, no, no, it's no. not anymore. This thing that I'm doing for Ron now has led to something else that might be coming from Airship 27 <laughs> that hopefully will be really, really cool if I make it work. And that's all I will say about that. Some of that old pulp stuff is unintentionally hilarious. Prose was doing a collection of an old character named Senorita Scorpion, who was oh, I love that character. She was a Western character yeah. who wore a mask. And, mm-hmm. and if you read her origin story, mm-hmm. she and her entire family are descended from these two people that got stuck in a valley. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a whole community who lives in the secret valley. And I'm like, so all of you are related to each other. <laughs> and you have been for a hundred years. Oh, and, my and the writer did not see anything weird about that, apparently. Apparently not. You could have a lot of fun with just that alone. <laughs> I think I now have a Doc Thunder story. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Anyway, you're going to hear where to send stuff in a few seconds, but until then, we hope, let me, let's raise our martini glasses one last time. One last time to Sir James Bond. We'll see you again in about two years, sir. And until then, wait a minute, we want to thank our oh, guest, Russ Anderson, for being with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. It was and, a lot of fun. I can't and, believe how much time we've eaten up already. We've been at this for almost two hours. Yes. So until then, folks, remember, wear your tuxedo at least once every movie. And go see that movie. Go see that movie. Go see that movie. Good night. Good night. God bless. So you want to let us know how much you like Better in the Dark, huh? And you do like us, right? Here's what you do. Email us at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join the Better in the Dark Facebook page by searching for Better in the Dark on Facebook and asking to join. You can follow both Derek and myself and our individual Facebook pages to learn all about the facts to need to know about the both of us. And you can read the Ferguson Theater and Damn Your Ears, Damn Your Eyes if you want more. You, you want more filmic musings you know what else will prove you love us send us money send checks money order filthy lucre or cash we accept cash box to myrtle sporting goods shekels care of thomas dj dollars 5716 myrtle avenue ridgewood new york 11385 doubloons sent make all checks payable to Derek ferguson and make all money orders payable to thomas dj cash it comes in green. It goes with everything. Or you can contribute by the PayPal link we have at betterinthedarksite.com. The PayPal link is you know, one click, and then you're done, and you can give us money there. There you go. If you send us a contribution, you will be named a producer on an upcoming episode. And the best part of it, no minimum whatsoever. No minimum, no maximum. Send whatever you like. So come on, stand up, get involved, be counted, share your love, and don't forget to go go watch watch that movie. My turn. I win. What do you say to that? It's a waste of good scotch. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E. and Derek Ferguson. 
Special thanks go out to Mark and Ian of Dude and a Monkey, the Earth Station One crew, Sean of Just One of the Guys, Eric Brome, and of course, all the lovely members of the Better in the Dark Facebook page. Better in the Dark does not advise the blowing up of your old automobile to prove a point, especially when it's loaded with deadly weapons. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.b-dot.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E. Jan Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that there's a ton of delights inside every bag of Bond girls, so get yours today! Bye.